Well, good morning. Super thankful to our communications team for making that whole video and doing all of that drawing. Uh, a lot of talented people who have very different talents than anything I have. It's wonderful. Uh, friends, at Friendship Church, we're all about making disciples and growing disciples. And we're going to talk about how that relates to our work, but I hope you caught the video a few minutes ago about how we want to make disciples among the youngest people here at Friendship Church. How we want our kids' ministry to be a part of partnering with parents in order to help kids know who Jesus is, come to know Him, and follow after Him. And so, if you're interested in serving in that kids' ministry, by all means, you can find where to do that on our website. We'd love to have you be a part of helping to disciple our little ones. A part of that discipleship is something we call parent-child dedication. And over in Shakopee today, they are having a parent-child dedication where we are dedicating five little ones. Now, your taste buds are going to benefit from the fact that there is a dedication in Shakopee today. And we'll talk about that a little more later on. But for now, I want to show you these little ones that we are dedicating, like Brooks, who belongs to Bubba and Maggie Kubish, right? Adorable. Or Eloise, Matthew and Jessica, mom and dad. Or Mace, uh, born to Matt and Melissa. That is not Matt and Melissa on the left-hand side, just for clarity. Or Rosalie, who has an adorable picture with mom and grandma. And Benjamin, uh, born to Eric and Kristen, who is very happy to be wearing a bow tie, as we all should be. Right? That's wonderful. And so we celebrate with them, and yes, you'll get cookies later because there was a dedication uh, over in Shakopee, and we're excited about that. But this is a part of what we want to do in order to disciple the youngest among us, to help them to know Jesus and follow after Jesus, and we're thankful for that. And would you guys just join me in giving thanks for these kids? Lord, what a, what a blessing it is to see these young ones, to see the way that you're growing families, to see these families in Shakopee that are saying, we, we want our kids to grow up in homes that are all about Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to strengthen these parents for that work that is ahead of them that task that is ahead of them. Lord, we love you and are thankful for the gifts you give us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we get into work as worship, I'm going to call an audible and do something that's not on the schedule today. Anybody nervous? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm going to do. I want you all to stand up and say hi to the people around you. Would you guys just stand with me? Uh, there's not going to be any music. Just say hi to those around you. All right. Uh, for the sake of the introverts, I'm going to have you return to your seats. That would be wonderful. And as I said before, we're starting a new sermon series today called Work as Worship. And when we talk about our work, I want us to understand that more broadly than the jobs that we go to. When I do the dishes tonight, that's work. Anybody get kids ready to come here this morning? I remember those days, man, that's so much work. And when we go to our jobs on Monday, that is also work. It is 
all work that we are doing. And we're going to talk about what God would have for us in all of that work. There are times in our society where work is treated as the great enemy. Work is what we are to avoid at all costs. And so we do sometimes silly things in order to work at not working. How many of you, for instance, have made the purchase of your electric spaghetti-turning fork? <laughs> right? There were over 100,000 of these sold last year. Why would you want to be one of those suckers that is twirling your own spaghetti? when you can have someone else do that work for you. Uh, there, there's a member of the worship team who will remain unnamed, who this morning expressed their excitement about that new little drive through caribou that's getting put up on Highway 13 out here. Because no longer will they have to get out of their car and walk all the way into Lunds in order to get their coffee. Oh yes, all of the work involved in that. Right now, I'm not, I'm not giving you any names, but they might have been playing the drums this morning. <laughs> we become so work avoidant that I went to the gym this week in order to walk on the treadmill, and I drove up and down three different rows of cars in order to find the closest possible spot so that I wouldn't have to walk any further than I had to to get inside to walk on the treadmill. Right? It just becomes a pattern trying to avoid work because we think of work as the enemy. And when we think of work as the enemy, then we think of paradise being a place where there's never any work. We just sit on the couch and someone feeds us grapes all day long. Right? That, that can become our understanding of paradise. Uh, Fifteen years ago, Disney made a movie in which they tried to help us understand what it would look like if we lived in a genuinely workless society, right? That movie, uh, WALL-E, was about a little robot named WALL-E. And of course, it's a Disney movie, so there's infatuation, even robot infatuation. And he follows after this, this girl robot, Evie, onto this ship where all human work has been eliminated. Uh, the technology, the robots, the AI, it does all of the work. And so what do humans do on this ship that is now workless? They just sit around on their mobile chairs and interact with life on their screens, right? Do you remember that picture? And isn't it a pretty picture? When we look at what life would look like with no work whatsoever, it looks like something different than paradise. It's actually a little bit gross. Right? Nobody ever accomplishes anything. Nobody ever does anything. Nobody ever helps anyone out. People in the movie are just uh, doughy, atrophied uh, baby people who sit around all day. And when we look at that, we go, hmm, maybe that's not paradise. Maybe there's something different that we're intended for. And I think, in fact, there's something that isn't appealing to us about this because God has designed us for a different purpose. God has made us to be workers. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 is an expression of God's design for people in paradise, in Eden, before sin entered the picture. 
And what do we read there? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. What, what is God's design for humanity? His design wasn't that we would lay on a couch while the garden and creation took care of itself. God's design for humanity is that we would partner with the creation by working it so that it would flourish and bring glory to God and meet people's needs. Right? That, that was God's design for us. God made us to be workers. Why? Right? Why? That's a big question. Why did God make us to be workers? I think the answer to that is because our God is a worker. And our God made us to be in His image. God works. He is a working God. We're made to be in His image. So God is love. We're to be what? Loving towards each other. And, and God is truth. And so what are we supposed to be? Honest with each other. And our God is a worker. And so He has made us to be a people who work. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word bara here means to form something, to mold something, to make something. God had a plan and He worked it. We see that work in Genesis, oops, sorry, Genesis 2.2. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. He rested from His work creation work. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how rest needs to come alongside work. It can't be all work. But what I want you to see right now is that our God is a working God. He put in significant work in creating all that exists. And then He stopped working entirely, right? No, He, he stopped doing His creative work. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says, He still sustains everything that exists by His own power and might. Not only that, isn't he at work in you? Right? Isn't he at work in you? Isn't that what Philippians 1.6, for example, says? For I'm sure that this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Our God is a, a working God. And so what did he make us to be? Working people. We are made in his image, in his likeness in order to work what he has made. Genesis 1, 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. People were given dominion. You notice that word? Over the things that God made. What does it mean they had dominion? Well, we tend to think of authority. They had authority. But I would suggest to you that dominion also means responsibility. They were given responsibility to be stewards over the creation. And that means work. My wife and I, for example, uh, we have dominion over our house. And so when things need to get done at our house, who is responsible to do them? When the drain clogs or the snowplow dumps all of that snow at the base of the driveway or the lawn needs to get mowed, who is responsible to do that? Right? Erica. Right? Erica is... No, no. Right? We are responsible to do that. 
I want us to understand, in an ideal world, in paradise, God has made us in his image to be workers because he is a working God. So the question becomes, why then do I not always enjoy my work? Why are there some of us who don't want to go to work tomorrow if God made me to be a worker? When that snowplow comes through and dumps that giant mound of frozen slush at the bottom of my driveway, each shovelful which seems to weigh 300 pounds, why do I not go, yes! This is so exciting. We get to work. Why are some of you like, oh yeah, tomorrow's coming. Monday. Ugh. Work. Why? If God made us to be workers, if he's a worker, then why is our work not always enjoyable? Why do we dread it sometimes? The Bible's answer to that is because sin has broken God's good intention for work. Sin and the curse of sin have broken God's good intention for work. It doesn't work the way it was designed to work because of sin. When my wife and I bought the first house that we ever purchased in St. Paul, we were told that we needed to remove all of the lead-based paint from the windowsills and the soffits. And so we went out there with those little hand scrapers and our ladders in order to remove all of that lead-based paint that had been on there for decades. I got to tell you guys, that didn't feel like utopia. Right? The bloody knuckles, the hand cramps, the sore backs, uh, all of the boredom and tedium of scraping the same six inches for 15 minutes, trying to make sure you get all of it off. That, that didn't feel like paradise. Right? So what is going on? The Bible says what's going on is when sin occurred, it broke God's design for work. We read in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And he said to Adam, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. What's cursed? Right? The ground is cursed because of you. In what? Pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. It's going to work against you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. It's going to be hard till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What happened as a result of sin? The creation no longer works in harmony with us in our work, but instead works against us in our work. So that when we go out and plant crops, weeds begin to creep in now. That was never true before sin. But now there are things like weeds and droughts that work against us. Some of you have experienced that on your farms, in your gardens. I would suggest it goes beyond uh, the agricultural life. Why is it that my computer froze up in the middle of writing this sermon? That is a product of the curse of sin. Things don't work like they are meant to work in all of the creation. And now instead of all of the creation working with us in cooperation in our work, it works against us. 
It works against us. Why is it that when you go to work, there may be some people at your work that you're not that excited to see? Anyone have a situation like that? Right? That is the product of sin and what sin has done to our work. It's not just the creation out there that has been impacted by sin and the curse of sin. This passage also points out the creation right here has been impacted by sin. Doesn't, don't these verses say that we are on our way to death because of sin? And now there is pain and hardship in our bodies because of sin. When we're out there scraping all of that paint off, why is it that I don't want to do it anymore because my hand is cramping up and my back is sore? That is a result of the impact sin has had here. As I was preparing this sermon, why is it that there are times when my mind is fuzzier than I wish it was? Why are there times when my communication isn't as clear as it otherwise could be? It is because the effects of sin have impacted mind and body for all of us. As you're sitting here seeking to do the work of listening to this message and meeting with God through His Word, why is it that there are times where your mind is wandering? Right? It's okay, let's admit it. No, Matt, never, not when you speak. We never do. Right? No, let's admit it, right? There are times when you're sitting there and your mind wanders, sometimes onto things you don't want it to wander to. Why is that? Because the fall of sin has also impacted your minds, right, and your bodies. As you're sitting there, sometimes your brain is fuzzier than you want it to be. Sometimes your back is sorer than you want it to be. All of this is a product of sin that has impacted not only the creation out there, but the creation here as well. This was not God's original design. God's original design was for all of creation to work in conjunction with us and our work so that every bit of our work was stimulating. Every bit of our work was beautiful. Every bit of our work brought glory to God. Every bit of our work helped others. It never failed. It was always successful. But now, because of sin, we experience fatigue, boredom, mistakes, the poor attitudes of others in our work, everything became hard. You want some good news? Good news is the Bible teaches that God is redeeming you as His people. And in the process, He is also going to redeem all of the creation and those things are going to redeem work. As God redeems His children, as He redeems all of the creation, it is going to redeem work. Look at what uh, Romans chapter 8 says about God's redemption. For the creation was subjected to futility, a Greek word for constant failure. Not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its what? Bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. As we look at the verses around this in Romans 8, what we see is God is redeeming His children. He is making us new. When Christ returns, we will dwell in a new heaven and a new earth. 
in perfect bodies, completely removed from the curse of sin and its impact. But Romans 8 says, not, not just us, the whole creation is being made new. Right? Every bit of it is being made new so that it will all be free from the curse of sin. Romans 21.5 says he's making it all new. Romans 20, I'm sorry, Revelation 22.3 says, No longer will there be anything accursed. Right? The effects of sin and the curse of sin, all removed within the new heaven and the new earth. And because of that, work will be totally and completely redeemed within the new heaven and the new earth. Now, some of you at this point might be saying, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Matt, you're telling me we have to work in heaven? What? You're telling me there's going to be work in heaven? He's redeeming our work? Absolutely. Absolutely, that's what I'm telling you. Our God is a working God. He has called us to be like Him. He has designed us to be a people who work, which means our ultimate fulfillment comes when we live in the ways that He's designed us. And He has designed us to be a working people. And so absolutely we will work in heaven. This is important for us to understand. Because of sin and its curse, work has become hard. Sometimes we think that the reversal of that is doing no work at all. But that is not the Bible's reversal of that curse. The reversal of that curse of sin is to do work that is always blessed, free of pain, free of hardship, and is always successful. That's the reversal of the curse. And that's what we'll experience when we're in the new heaven and the new earth. Right? Work that always brings glory to God, always benefits other people, is always successful, where we never experience fatigue and pain. Does anybody look forward to that? It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? In this broken and messy world that we live in. But that is what God promises to us. Jesus hints at that work in heaven, I think, in parables like in Luke chapter 19. In Luke 19, Jesus tells a parable about a nobleman who leaves for a period of time and he is going to return having been crowned king and rule over his people. Right? The nobleman represents Jesus. And the nobleman gives each of his servants a mina as he leaves. Now, we might think of a mina as, as a couple of quarters, but in fact, a mina was worth about three months' wages. So this is a significant amount that he has given to each of his servants. And he has given them one instruction while he leaves. Work. Right? Use this in order to do work. He doesn't tell them they have to make a certain percentage back. He doesn't tell them that when he returns, he wants X number of minas back based on the mina. No, he just says Put it to work. One of those servants directly disobeys the master. He gave him one command, put it to work, and he does the exact opposite. He does not put it to work. Not only that, but when the master returns, that particular servant says, well, I didn't put it to work because, and then he blames the master and lies about the master in order to justify his misdeeds. Things don't go well for him. There's a second servant, and he takes that one mina, and he turns it into five minas. And Jesus says that when the king comes and establishes his kingdom, he pronounces for that man who has taken one mina and turned it into five, that he will now have dominion over five cities in the new kingdom. A second man took the mina, 
and he turned it into ten minas. And Jesus proclaims about that servant that in the new kingdom, he will rule over, have dominion over ten cities. As we saw, dominion isn't just about authority, it is about responsibility and about putting in the work. And what Jesus wants us to understand is in the coming kingdom, there are going to be responsibilities that people are given. There's going to be work to be done. Those cities represent dominion in which people can use resources to bring glory to God and to help others around them. There's beauty in that. And so we recognize that when God calls us to a new heaven and a new earth, it'll be a new heaven and a new earth in which we work, in which all of our work is beautiful, in which we never experience pain or fatigue, in which there is joy in all that we do. Imagine that. It's hard, isn't it? Given our current reality, it's hard. The redemption of work. Uh, early this last spring, my neighbor Jeff left for a period of time to go someplace else, and his wife Molly was home by herself, and we experienced uh, the largest snowstorm that we experienced last winter. My wife reminded me that Jeff was out of town. And so I went outside, and so that Molly didn't have to shovel her driveway, began to shovel. And there was a lot of snow, so it took me a while in order to shovel Molly's driveway. And then when I got done with Molly's driveway, then we went over and we uh, shoveled our own driveway. And by we, I mean I, I guess, shoveled uh, our driveway. When I got done shoveling Molly's driveway so that she didn't have to, there was a good feeling. I don't think it was a prideful feeling, but the kind of good feeling that we get when we have been responsive to what God calls us to and when we've done things where we have served or done things to benefit others, there is a good feeling that comes with that. You've experienced that good feeling. And yet, despite all of those good feelings that I was experiencing, when I came inside, a little while later, my wife announced to me, oh, they're saying we may get more snow tomorrow. <laughs> Do you know that I, I wasn't that excited about experiencing more good feelings? I went, what? More snow? Right? Why? Because at that point, my back hurt and I was tired products of the curse of sin. Imagine if I could go over and shovel Molly's driveway for her and there was no fatigue and there was no soreness or pain and there were no time constraints on my life and I could just do good for others one after another, never experiencing any sort of pain, never experiencing any sort of fatigue, never being rushed to the next thing. What blessing there would be in that. And God says, this will be our eternal existence, serving one another, bringing all glory to God by serving one another and working on behalf of each other. What goodness there is in that. Let me just read a couple of questions to you. Imagine for a moment, right, working in a world where everything you do is what God calls you to do. Can you imagine that? 
Can you imagine working in a world where every bit of your work serves others in a way that truly blesses them? Can you imagine that? Imagine working in a world where you always do a good job and your work always goes well. Right? Can you imagine that? Imagine working in a world where the good that you do is permanent and never gets undone by a broken creation or the bad work of others. Imagine working in a world where you never get fatigued or sore or experience time crunches. Imagine working in a world where you do projects for God that are your passion projects that bring Him glory and provide for other people. Imagine working in a world where the people that you partner with in your work are always selfless and seeking your good while you're always selfless and seeking their good. Imagine working in a world where all of creation cooperates with you in your work instead of fighting against you. That is God's good design for us. And we are told that through the redemption of the creation and the redemption of God's people, work is being redeemed. And we'll experience that blessed work forever in the new heaven and the new earth. But God's redemption isn't meant to be just celebrated in the future new heaven and new earth. God is redeeming all of us here and now. And in so, he calls us to live out a redeemed work life. And that is what the rest of our sermons in this sermon series are going to be about. What it looks like to live the redeemed work life day in and day out. Whether it is us doing the dishes or trying to get our kids ready to go in the morning or going to our jobs on Monday, what does it look like to live out the redeemed life in our workplace? As you look forward to that, I just invite you to take a moment and quietly reflect on the questions that I have up on the screen. How has sin damaged your views or attitudes related to work? Are there any ways that you need to confess before the Lord, ways that sin has damaged your attitudes or your views about work? Any ways you need to bring your views about work into greater alignment with what God has taught us? Second, how will the fact that God designed you to be a worker impact the work you do this week? As we see what God has made us to be, how is it going to impact you and the work you do, whatever that looks like this week? And finally, how does God's redemption of work give you hope as you approach this week? How does the fact that God is your Redeemer, the Redeemer of all creation, and ultimately then the Redeemer of work, how does that give you hope over the course of this week? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song in which we recognize that because of Jesus, the things that we do are ultimately all aimed at His glory. Our work, our labors, they're all aimed at His glory. And we look forward to affirming that together in song as we spend time singing that. But I, I want to prepare our hearts and minds to go to the table. And if we're going to do that, we're going to recognize that as we talk about our work, the only reason that it can have any meaning, the only reason that it can be redeemed is because of the work that he's done. 
We're focusing on our work and what God wants to do through our work, but our work can only have meaning because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ that has been done on our behalf. And that's what we celebrate at this table. The fact that everything in life can have newness of meaning and newness of joy because of what Jesus did to work on our behalf. And so we're going to take the bread that represents his sacrifice and the cup that represents his shed blood for our forgiveness. And I just want to invite you as the the worship team comes forward today to be focusing on what God is calling you to do and the fact that you can only enter into that calling because of what Jesus has done. Take a moment and just, just reflect on anything that you need to confess.